morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalms chapter 29. That's where we're going to be at tonight. Tonight we continue our Psalm series. Um, this has been a series that I've really enjoyed, and I know the other ministers have too, because it's a simple one. We, we simply just get to pick our favorite, favorite Psalms. You know, it's something I think we've always done growing up, uh, to pick your favorite songs. And I think that's a conversation you've had kind of growing up and as that changes, but it's, it's, a, it's a delight really as a minister to say, okay, our series of Psalms and just pick one of your favorites. So I'm excited. This is my first time to be up here on this. We're going to be able to go through almost all of us twice and to pick maybe one or two Psalms that we really enjoy. So the Psalm that I chose is Psalm chapter 29. Before we get to it, though, I'd, I'd, I'd like to start by saying or talking about a couple of things first. Um, I, I grew up in a trailer. I grew up in a trailer park, living in a trailer park in Alabama. Okay, I like to think that it was a fancy, nice trailer park that I grew up in. And I've got a few reasons why I like to think that the trailer park I grew up in was better than maybe other trailer parks. We had a list of like HOA rules and regulations that about once a year they would send out a flyer, you know, a little Microsoft Word document. This is the updated Peachtree Crossings. That was the name of this trailer park, Peachtree Crossings. Um, I was born to live, you know, in the state of Peaches. And so um, they, would, they, would, they would send this updated list of regulations, things we had to abide by as owners of the, you know, the trailer that was parked there. And um, a few of them were normal, like you had to always have your grass cut, and they would, you know, kind of say, okay, you can't let your, your yard look bad. There's some regulations on that. And, and if, you ever, if you ever miss, they'd leave a little note on your door saying, you know, you need to cut your grass. Um, you couldn't work on your car in your driveway. So... That was a rule that they said that looks trashy if you work on your car in your driveway. So in the middle of the neighborhood, there's a big parking lot. And if you want to work in your car, go there. So what they ended up turning out to be was just a lot of people left their cars there that were broken down. So that made it look really nice. But the third, and I always remember this, this was near the bottom of the list. Every year I looked to see, yep, we still can't do that. Um, this is a big one. This has really solidified the fact in my mind that, okay, we live in a fancy trailer park was this, all caps, when it comes to all the other regulations, lowercase, sentence caps, you know, but this one was all caps, absolutely no pink flamingos, no yard decorations of any kind, this is a, this is a fancy trailer park and we will not be brought down by pink flamingos. Personally, I always wanted to have them, I rent a house now, I haven't put any pink flamingos out. But maybe one day I'll get to live out that life and have pink flamingos in my yard. But one thing I realized and I really learned to kind of grow interested in growing up in a trailer is you've got to take storms seriously. When they said take shelter, we don't have a basement. We take, when you say, okay, find that inner home that has good walls around it. We don't have an inner room that has good walls around it. So we really got to, you know, around this time of year, especially moving in the springtime, when storms would really start to rolling in, we really started watching the news and we all, you know, took it pretty seriously. So every, you know, nights like that would happen or days like that would happen. We'd turn on our news and we'd watch James Spann. I know Ben knows his name. If you're from Alabama, he's a celebrity because he's a weatherman. Um, everybody watches. I still follow James Spann. He still, I still look for updates of national weather coverage from my hometown weather guy. He's great. And you knew if it was serious, if he, obviously if he's mentioning the Gardendale, that's where I'm from, the Gardendale area, if he's motioning in that direction, you go, okay, we might need to leave home. We, we, had, we had a family member that lived 10 minutes down the road that had a basement, so we'd just drive over there. But if you knew, you really, okay, it might be too late. We've, we've got to get in the car and go now. If James had his sleeves rolled up, 
you said, okay, this is serious. We've got to leave the house. This, we may not grab what you want, kids, you know, because we're not coming back. Um, and so I took Storm seriously to the point where I kind of grew interested in him. And, and I, from then, from that upbringing, I've kind of, oddly enough, grown to really enjoy when a storm comes through. And obviously one that's not too destructive. You know, I don't enjoy that, obviously. I'm really thankful for Brother Kraft's prayer a moment ago because it was at this moment I was going to stop and mention and say a prayer for the congregations and for the state of Kentucky and all of those that were affected by the storms that came through earlier this week. It's kind of odd. I've been studying for this for a while. I've been preparing for this lesson, so I've been thinking about storms. We're going to get into a passage that heavily talks about it and then the storm that happened this weekend. And I've got some, some friends that live up in that area. So keep the congregations, the Seven Oaks Church of Christ, the Northside Congregation, as well. Jimmy Miller, uh, Brother Miller, he works kind of uh, off and on a little bit with the Northside Congregation, I believe, and so there's a lot of, lot of loss there. There's been a lot of people lo not only lose their homes, we've had some people lose their lives in that area. Um, it's a serious storm. I've grown interested in them. I, I enjoy documentaries on extreme storms, and I, and I enjoy watching that. When a, a simple storm comes through, I can enjoy that. And so that drove me to, and I don't remember the first time I, I came across this passage or, and really kind of connected with it, but I think what we have tonight is a moment where David becomes fascinated with a storm. Scholars think that in this passage, David simply just watches a storm roll through his kingdom, and this is his thoughts. Now, whether this was a, an actual storm that one day while he's standing on top of his uh, you know, standing on top of his home and he's watching as he's, you know, ruling his nation and he just sees a storm sweep through from north to south. Whether it actually happened or he is just, he's just adding the thoughts of the storms he has seen to the power of God, we're not sure. But either way, we simply have a very simple passage tonight that has a very big message. Now, we serve a God of power and we can see that in a storm. So read with me Psalm chapter 29. We're going to read the whole passage, uh, a short 11 verses. And I'm, going to do, I'm going to keep my lesson simple tonight. I'm going to look at the storm, see the three observations of the storm, and the three reactions that David had to it. Verse 1, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Verse 3, and this is where the storm Language really starts to, to, to start. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire, flashes out flames of fire, some translations may say. Verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple everything says glory. Verse 10, the Lord sat as king at the flood, and yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people powerful passage. From all my studies, and I'd love to, if you know of another passage that better brings in almost all the senses into a moment, a moment happening. 
To me, this is the best description of any storm. I think about this in Mark chapter 5 and the storm on the sea that Jesus calms. But maybe even more so this, we get all of the consequences and the sounds and the sights and the results of the power of this storm rolling through. And I think in this, we can make three, I think David really made three observations. And we can make the same observations tonight. And from that, like I said... There are three reactions that David has as well. So we might be, we're going to keep this simple. We're not going to have a six-point lesson. We're just three here and three there, right? The first observation that I believe David has is quite simply just the might of God's power. Look back at some of the phrases. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but the storm fits in passage, verses 3 through 9. Look back at some of the action phrases in this passage. The imagery is the, possibly the best description of a storm in all the Bible. The God of glory thunders, the Lord breaks the cedars, makes Lebanon skip like a calf, flashes forth flames of fire, shakes the wilderness of Kadesh, makes the deer give birth, strips the forest bare. What an amazing collection of things that are going on here. The God of glory thunders, the Lord breaks the cedars. It says down, in verse uh, 5, yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. What that reference means, and I'm sure you already can kind of pick up on this, is that the, the might of this storm is so strong that it, it, that it is snapping the biggest, strongest trees in the area. You know, in, in, that, cult, in that culture, it was a huge thing to build your house and to build a pal palace out of the, the, the cedar of Lebanon because those are the grandest, strongest, biggest trees in all of that kind of area. And so in America right now, you, you might say, you know, the storm rolled through and it breaks the cedars, it breaks the redwoods of California, or the oaks of the south. That's the imagery that David is pulling in here, that the mightiest, biggest trees that we know of, this storm just breaks like twigs. And then it keeps moving on from there. It breaks these huge trees like twigs. And I love the way how he says in ver the bottom of verse 5, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon, and it makes Lebanon skip like a calf. And the idea behind that is that this great mountainous range of Lebanon, we're going to talk a little bit more about that area in a second, but this mountain range almost comes alive in the power of the storm. If you've ever been able to witness or observe, observe a storm in, in a large area, you can see that the grass and the trees sway back and forth and almost come alive with sounds and visions and stuff like that where you can see the trees move in the grass, kind of almost like an ocean coming alive. And that's what scholars think that David is trying to get across here is that it's almost like this mountain range is skipping or bucking like a wild horse or something because of the power of the storm that's affecting this, this area. And then we have this great thing that's called the Lord flashes forth flames of fire, shakes the wilderness of Kadesh, and the Lord makes the deer give birth. And it strips the forest bare. In this storm, this mighty, mighty forest, the wilderness of Kadesh that we're going to talk about in a second, is stripped bare. There's nothing left. You can see straight through this. In this, poem, in this storm, David sees one thing. The might of God. He sees the power of God. He sees the storm as a grand example of God's power on display. He connects this force of nature to the power of God to the point of attributing the storm's doing or actions to God himself. Everything that was mentioned, all these great things that this storm is doing, before each comment it says the Lord's voice does this or he commanded this or he made them to do this. 
David is, is, is watching this storm roll across his kingdom, and he's saying, God is doing this. The voice of the Lord is the thunder. The God, his hands is moving in this. And I think it's important to note at this point that none of these actions are, are made to be good. All of these consequences of this storm are, are destructive, or at least disruptive of nature. I don't think David's trying to say that's the God that we serve, a God of destruction and disruption and chaos. But that level of power, raw, unyielding, on that level, of a, on that scale, that's the same image of power that our God has. That's the same capability that our God is. It's not that David is saying God is necessarily directing the storm, but that this gives a great example or a great image of the, the actual power that our God is. The one way you could say it is the power of creation speaks to the power of its creator. And so as David is watching this storm breaks these, these trees like cedars and roll across his kingdom and making mountains come alive, in that storm of destruction, disruption, and chaos, he says, what a powerful God that created this world. What a powerful God that creates all of this. When a man is confronted with raw power like this, no matter the results, I believe he's given a chance to see what the power of God is like. I'll never forget uh, the, the storms in April 27, on April 27, 2011. That was that huge storm cell that came through Alabama. Roughly about 300 from big to small tornadoes hit touchdown Alabama that day. And some of the scenes the next, that evening, because it hit about 3 o'clock in my area at least, we had taken refuge. We did not stay in the trailer that day, that, that evening. But especially that Thursday, the day after, when we, when we finally got to go out and see some destruction, it was pretty humbling. It was pretty, pretty humbling to walk through a city and nothing being taller than I was. It was pretty humbling to walk up, and we on Saturdays for months leading up to that, we would meet up, the, we would meet up at, the, at our congregation, our building, and we'd go to this city called Pratt City, and they had really been hit, and not much help was going over there, and so we'd go and serve and, and work through a congregation over there. It was pretty humbling to see people's homes and all their belongings just drawn out constantly all over the place. If any of you have watched the coverage of the, the storm that just hit Kentucky and the, the kind of tri-state area, you know what that's like. Or maybe you've witnessed power like this or seen this in your life. It's humbling to see power that strong and that raw and, and the result of it. And it's not that our God is that destructive. It's not that our God is that chaotic. But it's that, that His creation, that that gives us a glimpse, a rare glimpse. Of, okay, that's how big and powerful our God could actually be. When someone gives up his life for someone else, when a soldier lays down his life for someone, or, or so you, you see a, a citizen do something that they put their own life in danger to save someone else, we get a glimpse of how much God's love can be for us. It's humbling to see someone lay down their life for somebody else. We get a rare glimpse and say, wow, that's the, that's the level of love God has for us. When we get to see parents nurture and take care of their children, we get a glimpse of the love that God has for us. There are common things here on, on this plane that give us an idea of what God is like, or the level that He loves us, takes care of us, or however it may be. But watching a storm gives us a rare glimpse into the power that our God has. And it's sad that we, as part of that creation, forget that we serve that, that powerful 
of God. Flip over to Exodus chapter 19. God intentionally brings his people to a storm. Exodus, we have the children of Israel leaving uh, Egypt here. They have crossed over the Red Sea, and now it's time. God has, has brought them to Mount Sinai. He's ready to, he's ready to lay down this new covenant that he has created for them, this new relationship that he has prepared for them. And look at the description, Exodus 19, verse 18. And Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And, it is, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shaked violently. And I find it fascinating that God, this is his, one of the first times that God is going to be meeting with his people. He's bringing them out of Egypt, and now it's time to come face to face his people to the image of God. Not God specifically, but he could have portrayed himself in any way, right? Later on, when he's talking to his prophet Elijah, he's able to say, okay, he's not in this power. He's, not, he's in the gentle breeze of the wind. So why at this moment, at this starting out relationship with the children of Israel, why does he, why does he decide to display himself in this mighty of a way? We have a mountain that's burning fire, has smoke whirling around it. There's thunder constantly clapping around it. We'll find later in chapter 20. Why does God choose to display himself that way at that moment? What a way to start a relationship with your, with your people. That's the description of the mountain. And this is how Israel responded to it. Chapter 20, verse 18. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And the people saw it and they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let no... But let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you will not sin. Israel asked the same question. In their first face-to-face coming to this, this level of closeness with God, God decides to betray himself in this power, this might. And they say, okay, this is great, but we, want, we don't want to be here, Moses. We don't want God talking directly to us. We don't want to get anywhere close to this mountain. If God has something to tell us, we'd like for you to be the middleman. You go up in that storm, you talk to him, and then we're going to be way over here, and you come and tell us what God has to say because we're too afraid to be this close to God. Moses said, don't be afraid. Look back at verse 20. God has come in order to test you in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. God decides to betray himself in this mighty, powerful way so that this, that this image of God could, be, that could remain in them. That this power and might could always be in the back of their heads or back of their minds of the God that they serve and the God that they listen. So when God commands something, when he asks something of them, this is the image that they could have. They know he's loving, he's going to be taking care of them. He called them out of their bondage. He knows that he is a father figure to them in a lot of ways because of the heritage that they're already brought up in. And now he reminds them, I'm a God of might. I'm a God of power. And in this relationship, there is a place of fear. Flip over to Exodus chapter 32 as the story continues. A little time has elapsed. Exodus 32 and verse 1. 
When people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They, they create a little distance. Moses stays a little bit too far. He, he stays a little bit too long on the mountain. There's a separation. And they already start to turn to an idol. They said, listen, we, we don't have Moses anymore. We need, some, we need something to bow down to. And they turn their backs to God. And this is going to, be, this is going to start this roller coaster of faith that the children of Israel are going to have throughout the rest of the Old Testament that they get in trouble and they need God. God comes and displays something in great power and saves them, provides for them. Everything is good. And then some time elapses and, and, and they falter and they fall back. God has to come and help them. It's he's constantly having to remind them of the power and the might that he has so they will not turn their back on him, and they're constantly forgetting. And how sad is it in our lives, in my own life, that the God that I serve, the God that I love and live for, I forget just how powerful he is. My favorite way of looking at God, uh, the favorite moniker that I, I, I like to call him and, and I like to, to see our relationship as, is, is a son to a father. I, I like that imagery that he is able to give me in, his, in, in the text that we have in his word. He wants us to see him as a father, but sometimes I feel like the danger in that is we forget just how powerful our father is. Yes, he's a loving father. He's gentle. He's long-suffering. He's patient. But he's also a God of immense power. And he is my judge. And there is a point or there is a purpose in having a rightful fear of God in my life because that's going to keep me on the straight and narrow. That's going to keep me humble in all my doings and all my actions. David observes the power of God in this. And I'm afraid too often we res I resemble, possibly we all resemble the Israelites of Exodus 32 more than the Exodus 20 crowd. We, we grow to forget the power of God and we grow lax in our devotion. And so David, as he sees this storm, this mighty power, this huge illustration of the power of the creation, to the power of its creator, David says, he sees the power of God in it. He rightfully understands the might and the power in it. Let's look back at our text, and thing, I believe the second observation that David makes is the scope of his power. Not only the might of the power, but the, the broad scope that it has as well. One interesting thing about this passage is, is that it has a lot of geographic um, illustration. It, it, point, it pinpoints two different geographic points in the children of Israel or around Israel. Interesting where they fall out at. If you look back at the storm, we're going to read back through this passage of the storm. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The power of God here starts in this, that, that this storm starts in starts over a body of water. Before it makes landfall, before it starts having uh, consequences on the earth, it starts building strength in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is upon or over, your translations might say, the waters. I remember when I was, on, I was on a mission trip and we were out of country and we were on this coastline and we could watch a storm roll by and we could see as it grew closer, thankfully it wasn't too bad of a storm, but as it grew closer and closer to this, uh, the seashore that we were at, got a little bit darker, got a little bit bigger, got a little bit louder. It is humbling to see that power approaching you. 
And in verse 3, as we see this, this, this storm billowing and growing over waters, about to make landfall, we know because of the context that's given next that this is probably over the Mediterranean Sea, that David, whether he's watching this or, or thinking about this, he's imagining it build over the Mediterranean Sea and then make landfall in Lebanon. And the interesting thing about that is that's north of Israel. David's the king of Israel, but the country right above that is Lebanon. And so the cedars that it's cracking, the cedars, the wilderness that it first hits, is that territory north of Israel. And then one of the last comments that David makes about the storm is that, that, it's sh- that, it, it, that it is shaking the wilderness of Kadesh. That's really where it gets fascinating because you have making landfall in Lebanon and then shaking the wilderness of Kadesh, which is, which is at the southernmost tip almost of Canaan. David is talking about a storm that's coming in, rolling in from the west, hitting north and sweeping across, hitting all corners of the nation of Israel. Yes, this storm is powerful, but it's covering all the land. And then I look at my life, and yes, at times I recognize the power of God, the might of God, but I wonder if I let that power of God influence and sweep over every area of my life. Sure, God is the God and power of my, my spiritual walk, right? He is the might of my creation. I see him as my creator. But do I, do I allow that power and that might and that rightful fear I should have, do I allow that to sweep over into my career? Do I allow that rightful fear and power that I observe in God, do I allow that to sweep into my devotion to him in my house? Do you allow that to sweep over to your goals in your life, into the classrooms that you have? You say, yes, God is the power of my church time. God is the power of my faith. But when it comes to my career, I, I'm making the decisions there, right? When it comes to who I, who I am at school or who I, what I look like or sound like on, on the job side, that I am king. That's where I am empowered that. God is all-powerful, but I'm taking control in this area. David says, no, 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 it rolls over from the top and it works its way all the way from top to bottom. God is powerful and he's powerful at all corners. And if I'm failing to see the power of God in all aspects of my life, then I'm failing to see the power of God. I've got to have a rightful fear and understanding of who's in control in every single aspect that my life touches. Because whether I want to admit it or not, he's in power. He's in control over that. Sometimes I'm just foolish, and I think I am. The might of God, the scope of God, and then lastly we see the result of this power. The, the, the might of his power, the, the scope of his power, now we see the result. Look at the bottom of verse 9. And in his temple everything says glory. And I love the this, this study on this, this word that's used here for glory because we see a lot in, in Exodus, mainly a lot in Le- Leviticus as well. But it's the idea that this is a reflection of, or, or um, a physical manifestation of God's power on earth. A few passages that, are, that use the same word here is in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 7. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings, Moses says, against him. And what are we that you grumble against us, Moses says. They've been grumbling at children of Israel. They haven't had anything to eat. And Moses says, listen, this is in context of God about to prepare to provide man. He says, in the morning you'll see the glory of the Lord. The physical man of his presence or power here. Next is chapter 24, on Mount Sinai, Moses says, the glory of the Lord rested. They could see it. They could observe it. 
not the Lord himself, but his glory. Some physical manifestation here in Mount Sinai, we see that it's the, the smoking mountain, the fire, the thunder that we saw in Exodus 18. And the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called for Moses to come up. And in Numbers chapter 16, verse 42, when Moses and Aaron are once again having to walk against a body of people that do not like them, they say, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's, of the Lord's people. It came about, however, when the congregation that assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Some physical representation or manifestation that showed the power of God. And so I find it amazing nine, that the result of this storm that covers all the land of Israel, at the end of it, and in his temple... Not the temple in Jerusalem, but the area that, can find, that is his presence in this whole world, his temple, this world, everything it says, says glory. It reflects that it has been affected. God's, God has been there and God's power has left a mark on it. All, everything in the temple, everything shouts glory. And I have to ask myself, is that, is that what my life is shouting back? Am I some type of reflection or, or manifestation or, or just realization to the, re, the people around me that I have been affected by God. That God's presence and God's power and influence has swept from all corners of my life. And when people see me, is that what's shouting back to them? You know, certain pictures you see of people, without any context, you can see happiness, right? Some people are just shouting joy. You see people on the day of their wedding, you can just see almost like a, a bliss, or they're just beaming out happiness or joy. You've got new parents, the pictures that they put out. You, you, can, you can see the emotion on their face. And I wonder when people see me when I'm at a gas station or I'm checking out at Walmart, I wonder if people see me when I'm walking through the aisles here, if my image is shouting glory to God, that who I am and the image that I put across is reflecting that God has had an effect on my life. Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and his face is shining from the glory of the Lord. And as many preachers have said before me, I, am, am I a light just simply reflecting the glory of the Lord that's affected my life? A storm sweeps through, and everything says glory to God. And I'll tell you, God has swept through my life. And I just hope and pray that I can do everything I can to shout glory back to him. And that when people see me, they see the exclamation of glory. From this, David makes three reflections. We see he has three observations here that I, put, that I brought out. The might of his power, the scope of his power, and then lastly, the result of it in his temple. And based on that, he makes three reflections. The first one is in verse 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. David watches a storm roll by. He sees an immense raw power. And he says, that's the power of my God. And the first thought he has is he deserves to be worshipped. A power of that, a God of that strength. A God of that amount of power, the creator that is responsible for that creation, deserves to be worshipped. From the sons of the Almighty, possibly a reference to angels, all the way down to little old Jehal, he deserves to be worshipped because of the power that he has. Not only for the love that he has shown me, but, but alone, 
simply just because of the power that he has as a God of the universe. He deserves to be worshipped. And I love the word that David uses here. He doesn't just say he needs to be worshipped. He says, give or ascribe the Lord worship. That's exactly what it should be. It should be an offering. It should be a giving. On Sunday mornings, we 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 have a giving. But the whole hour should really be a giving of our time, our energy, our adoration, our respect, our fear, our love, everything that we've got, every emotion, everything that I've been storing up for the past six days. I want to give it all to God in this one hour of worship, and I want to give it all to Him as I praise Him throughout the week. And it's sad when we come in here and we say, okay, what, am I get, what did I get from this Sunday, right? When it should be characterized, okay, how can I give more in my singing? How can I give more into this lesson? How can I give more in this prayer? This is a time of my giving to him. He gives me 24-7, nonstop, the Lord gives to me. We've got a few hours in a week that we can give back to him worship, and sometimes we're still saying, okay, what did I get from that? And no, no doubt we should, we should walk away from this building after worship changed and better because of it, and we should be getting things from that as well. But it all starts with us giving to him the glory that's due. His second reflection he makes is in verse 10. He kind of brings a little bit more home. He says, the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. King is personal. You can say God is, God is powerful. He's almighty. He's control of the storm. That's, that's a good example of his, but he's also my king. He rules over me. Not only is he the king of the universe, but he is, not only is he God and creator of the universe, he's powerful, but he's a king, as in he has servants, and that is, <laughs> number one, me. That's the relationship that we have. I'm his son, but I'm also a servant. Paul, in almost every beginning of his letters, he would start out by saying, Paul, a servant. I believe a better translation of that, and a lot of translations might say a bond servant, or to me, the best translation Paul, a slave of God. Because that's what I am. I talked about this with the students the other day. I don't have free speech. I get to enjoy certain blessings in being a part of this nation, but I, as a Christian, I don't always get to say the things I want to say. Because I have a king that's dictated what my speech should sound like. As a slave... As a servant to my king, I don't have free will in the sense that I have actions that I can do whatever I want to. I have free will to choose what I want. When I sign up to be his, when I am grafted into that family, I say, you are my master and I am your servant. I am here to serve you. If that's the image you want me to look like, if this is the actions you want me to do, then I have no choice in the matter and I'm better off for it. Our God is a God of great power. And we should worship him. And we should also see him as our king. And then lastly, verse 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And I love how this, this psalm wraps up here. Because in a psalm that's really characterized by destruction and disruption and chaos and just insane raw power unyielding to any, you know, anything in its way, and, and kind of comparing the, the fact that that's a God, that we serve a God that's like that when it comes to the power that he could wield, that he has at his fingertips, David ends it by saying, in the power that he has, how is he using it? 
to provide for his people. To bring his people peace. We've got a great God of power. His, his power is, is wide-reaching. Is wide he is our king. But ultimately, another reason why we should serve him and recognize his power is he has all that, and the way he chooses to show that, and the way he chooses to illustrate his power to us is simply by saying, look how much I can give you. I want to show you how great I am and what I'm capable of by, by showing you how much I can give you. And the best illustration we have of the power, the scope, whatever you want to say, the might of God's power is when he died on the cross for us. That humbling of self and that self-sacrifice of a God that loves his people so much. In Exodus chapter 20, he said, I want my people to see how big I am and how afraid they should be of me. And that was right. And then in Matthew chapter 26, God says, I also want my people to see how loving and how much I care for them. The best example of how powerful our God is, is how much he takes care of us. And I just hope that we reflect that. Psalms 29 is a great passage. I like to, when bad storms are coming through, this is a great passage to turn to. Because we see how, 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 not only how great our God is, but how much he loves us in this. I'm proud to serve a God that strong and that mighty and that powerful. And I hope that I, I let his word be that powerful in my life. And I hope that I let it sweep across every part, every aspect that, that's my career, my home, my life, every bit of who I am, God's power is present. I hope I reflect that I'm a servant of his. But lastly, I'm so thankful that this powerful God that I serve has channeled all that power, all that might, into giving me peace tonight. And maybe you're walking through some storms and it's hard to see that you can see the destruction of this world. You can see the disruption that this world has. And maybe it's, it's, it's really difficult to see God as a mighty God tonight. Maybe because of stuff you, walk, you were walking through, maybe stuff you were working through, it says, you know what, the, the problems of, the, of this life actually are a lot bigger than the God that I serve, and that's just Satan trying to, to show you that God can't help you. I don't think God directs storms. I don't think God sends storms on this earth to punish one area, to, 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 to afflict this one part of the world. But in them, we can see the power of God. And tonight, it might be really hard to see the power of God in some storms that you're walking through. And not that he's directing it, not that he's, his hand is over it, not that he's pushing it on you. But we can always see the power of God in any storm. Because the power of God is everywhere. Because he is going to take care and give peace to his children. But tonight... How, how can God, how can you see God in the storms of your life? How can God provide you peace? If there's anything that we can do to help you see God more clearly in your life as our family, let us do that. Let us come together and give our all to God, a God that deserves all the worship that we have plus more. Let us recognize him as our king tonight. If you've got anything we can do to help you, please come forward as we stand.